is in his holy temple. Go ahead and check in real quick. If you don't mind, take a minute and do that. And if you need to take communion, you can exit the auditorium and be served over in the fellowship area and then come back in and join us for the remainder of our evening tonight. Next week, next Sunday night, chili cook-off. I'm hoping everybody here knows somebody with a good chili recipe <laughs> that you can borrow. Anyway, we're going to have a good time next, uh, next week. We're going to have a, a, a shorter service in here and then adjourn and enjoy some, some chili together. And hopefully it'll be a cool evening. And that just always kind of goes together, cool evenings and chili. So uh, make plans for that. We're going to continue with our worship. Let's, uh, let's stand for these next few songs, please. Faithful love flowing down from the Thank you. 
Before we go to our Father in Prayer, I wanted to give an update on Eric Tarpley, uh, who I know we announced this, uh, this morning. Uh, he underwent successful surgery this afternoon to repair his broken femur, and uh, he's expected to be in the hospital for the next few days, but uh, we're just praising God for an, a very successful outcome for today's surgery. So we'll just continue to keep Eric and Lauren and the kids in our prayers as we go forward. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we seek you. We seek your heart, and we ask that we open our hearts to you, especially on this Lord's Day, but each and every day as well. Lord, we know that you are with us each and every moment. You hear us when we call. You know what we need even before we say it, because you are God. And you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. And you send your spirit to live within us. Lord, you are so great. And we love you so much. Lord, we are thankful for the avenue of prayer that we have to be able to come to you whenever we need it. And Lord, we are here to praise you and to give you thanks for a successful outcome for Eric's surgery, uh, that the doctors were thrilled with how it turned out. Uh, Lord, he still has a long road ahead, two to three months, not being able to put any weight on that leg, which is tough to do when you've got uh, three kids, all third grade and under. Lord, just continue to watch over the Tarpley family, help him to regain strength in that leg as quickly as possible so that he can uh, he can be fully rehabilitated uh, and, and continue to serve as a wonderful father and husband to that family. Uh, Lord, we continue to ask your prayer for Jim Collins, uh, Sean Collins' father, as he uh, continues his recovery from COVID. We're thankful that Sean was able to make it back from Oklahoma uh, earlier today. And Lord, as we go to tomorrow and we uh, celebrate the life of Dana Abbott, we lift up Denise Powell and her family uh, in our prayers uh, for these these tough days that are to come. Uh, Lord, we just are so very thankful for the example of so many who have gone before us, and in particular as we, we learn more from uh, the writings of the Apostle Peter, Lord, open uh, our minds to what Jacob and is, is going to bring from us from your word. We're so thankful for each one of us that are here. We're thankful for all of those kids that are across the street beginning their journey through the book of Matthew. Lord, we are thankful for everyone that is involved in, in LTC and for the great things that our kids are going to be learning over there. What a blessing it is to have great teachers uh, that, are, that are teaching these young kids all about the life of Jesus as was written down by Matthew over the next several weeks. Bless those efforts over there. Continue to be with us, Lord. Uh, as we continue our worship to you. We are so thankful for your son, Jesus, and it's through him we pray. Amen. All right. Do y'all remember, this may be, I may be dating myself. Um, do y'all remember the Red Rejoice book? Sweet Publishing, Red Rejoice. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm seeing some not. Raise your hand if you remember the red or the blue Rejoice book. I can't remember if this song was in the red one or the blue one. 
Jacob said, hey, can we sing a verse of teach me, Lord, to wait? And immediately when you do that, I sing it right back to you. Isn't that right? But I couldn't find the arrangement, so we're going to be singing from lyrics. It is number 764 in your hymnal if you would like to do that. All right. We're going to sing a little bit of this one. Teach me, Lord, to wait right now. sounded great so thank you for <laughs> thank you for singing that tonight in 2005 country singer Brad Paisley released one of the best selling hits of his illustrious music career a song called Waiting on a Woman. Do you remember that song, Waiting on a Woman? The lyrics were not original to Brad Paisley. They were actually written first by Don Sampson and Wynn Varble. But Brad Paisley put the song on the map. And shortly after the song was released, if you saw the music video that went with the song, Brad Paisley asked Andy Griffith to be a main character in that music video, and Andy Griffith plays the role of an older man who walks out of a store and sits down on a park bench with a younger man, Brad Paisley, and they talk about life, and he asks Brad Paisley, are you waiting on a woman? And this is the first stanza in the song. You'll probably remember these words. Sitting on a bench at West Town Mall, he sat down in his overalls and asked me, You waiting on a woman? I nodded, yeah, and said, How about you? Son, since 1952, I've been waiting on a woman. And then it gets down to the chorus, and Paisley sings, Honey, take your time. I don't mind waiting on a woman. Very smart man. Now, I did ask John Scott if he would sing that song before I got up tonight. <laughs> but we could not find it in any of the hymnals, and so we also could not find it in an acapella arrangement, so we thought we would just go with something else. <laughs> <laughs> 
Beautiful song, great song, one of Brad Paisley's best-selling hits. Now, to be fair, women spend just as much time waiting on men as men spend waiting on women. None of us like to wait on people. But we really don't like, we really don't like having to wait on a Savior. And the Apostle Peter composes two volumes that we've been looking at the last several months, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in both of these books, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter writes to Christians in Asia Minor suffering for their faith who have grown up around the Jewish faith And these are people who have spent most of their lives waiting for something. They knew what it was like to wait. If you go back in the Israelite history, the Jewish religious patriarch, kind of the hero of the Old Testament, Abraham, has to wait a hundred years for that child of promise named Isaac. You fast forward to the days of Moses, Israel has to wait over four centuries to be freed from Egyptian slavery. You keep going through the story, you get to the story of David. David's on the throne in Jerusalem. The country of Israel is stronger than it's ever been before. And then the Jews who followed David in the generations to come They wait a thousand years for this Messiah to be born who will come and sit on the throne in Jerusalem, on David's throne, and restore the kingdom of Israel. And throughout those years, prophets will come and go, and Isaiah writes 750 years before Christ is born. The song that we just sang, Isaiah chapter 40, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. These people receiving this book of 2 Peter and 1 Peter knew what it was like to wait. And now they found themselves waiting again. But this time waiting for the same thing that we are waiting for tonight. The return of Christ. The second coming of Jesus. And with that in mind, Peter picks up the inspired pen in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Peter writes these words, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance, waiting. Waiting is hard, but Peter gives us some great advice just in these two verses about how we faithfully wait 
as God's people. And he gives us some pretty important reminders that I want us to see in our time together tonight. And here's the first one. Peter reminds us that waiting does not negate the faithfulness of Christ. The people of the New Testament intentionally awaited for the return of Christ much more than we do today. They woke up every morning thinking this might be it. This might be the day that the Lord returns. And as you read through the writings of the Apostle Paul and you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul indicates that he really believed that Jesus would return in his lifetime. If you remember in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul kind of gives the itinerary for the day of judgment and he gives the roster and the order on who will approach Jesus first. And Paul says the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 17, we who are still alive will meet them in the air. Paul placed himself in that group, in that we. We who are still alive will go next. After the dead in Christ rise first. Paul thought, he really did think, that he would not see death before the return of Jesus. And I would suspect that most generations believed that the Lord would return in their lifetime. I learned this week when I was researching for this sermon. Here's a little bit of interesting biblical trivia if you want to impress someone at some time or just remember this for your own mental health and encouragement. Of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are almost 300 references to the second coming of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? 260 chapters in your New Testament, 300 times approximately the biblical writers refer to the second coming of Jesus. That is on average more than once a chapter. The early church really focused on the return of Jesus. They thought it was about to happen and it gave them hope and it provided them focus for holy living. But as you well know, there is a problem with waiting the longer you wait, the easier it is to lose your motivation. If something doesn't happen when you think it should, or by a certain date, it's so easy just to lose that passion. And the false teachers took advantage of this. They prayed on the early church, people who they knew were waiting for the return of Christ, and it wasn't happening, and so they came in for the kill. And if you jump back to verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 3, that's exactly what Peter is addressing. He says, first of all, and if you look at that in the Greek, first of all is not a matter of chronology, it's a matter of importance. So you could rephrase that by saying, most importantly... You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming that he has promised? Where is it? The false teachers would taunt the early Christians and they would say, I thought you said Jesus was coming back. Well, it's been 40 years. It's been 50 years. It's been 60 years. Where is he? Where is he? Your faith is a lie. There's nothing to it. 
Don't listen to the apostles. Forget about them. Listen to us. And Peter says, you need to know that's going to happen. In your period of waiting, people are going to try to convince you that what Jesus promised will never take place. But do not forget. Just because you're waiting. That doesn't mean that God isn't faithful. God is still faithful. In fact, in my opinion, that's why Peter writes verse 8. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. If you've read many commentators or scholars or any books, really, you know that a lot of people in the religious world over church history, they have tried to take that verse and kind of form their own biblical equation to answer some questions in the Bible that we just don't have the answers for. A common one is the story of creation. They will say, well, if to God a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years, well, that explains the the six days of creation. Well, of course it wasn't in six consecutive days because each day could have lasted a thousand years. Those who would subscribe to the premillennialist view of the judgment of Christ, that there will be in a thousand year reign after the return of Christ, they also use this. Well, of course there will be. There's going to be the day of judgment and the day of judgment will last a thousand years because to God, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. I think that's reading way too much into the text. I don't think that's what Peter is trying to indicate here. I think Peter's just simply making a point. God's faithful. But God is not bound by time. God does not operate on your watch. He operates on his What we consider to be far off, God might consider imminent. So we don't lose faith. We keep waiting. Just because it hasn't happened yet, that does not mean it's not going to happen. And when we deal with the struggles and the disappointments of life, And when we get frustrated with God, and when we wonder, why hasn't he fixed this yet? It's the same message Peter says here. Just because it hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Waiting on Christ does not negate the faithfulness of Christ. Peter also says that when we wait on Christ, it points to the grace of Christ. And I really like this one. I really do. Because Peter says in verse 9 that that the Lord is patient with you. He's patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. In the Greek, that word patience is a really interesting word. It's actually a compound word. One part of the word refers to large. The other part of the word refers to great anger. One writer phrased it this way. He says, God has a massive reservoir of grace and mercy. And it takes a long time before his wrath eventually spills over into judgment. In other words, God has a really 
long fuse. It takes a lot to get God to blow up. He's patient with you. Thought about that this week. It's, it's the way that you describe not a parent, but a grandparent's relationship to their grandchild. Grandparents, <laughs> grandparents are a lot more patient with their grandchildren than parents are with their own children. Anybody notice that? Grandparents in the house? Yeah, that's the joy of being a grandparent, right? I vividly remember the day, the first time my mom told Hewitt, my youngest son, no. It shocked everyone in the car. And it shocked Hewitt the most, you know. You've never said that word to me, no. What does that word mean? It took a whole lot, but eventually Mimi's patience ran thin. And it was time for some discipline. God's kind of that way. It takes a whole lot to push God over the edge. And the reason God is slow, and the reason we have to wait on Him is because of His grace. He wants everyone to change. He wants everyone to turn and to come back to Him. We so often ask in this world, and for good reason, with the brokenness and the evil of this world, we ask, why doesn't God just come back and end this thing? Why doesn't he just fix it? Why doesn't he just stop time? Does he not hear? Does he not see? Is he absent? Is he oblivious? Is he asleep at the wheel? The answer is no, no, and no. The reason he's slow It's because of his grace. He's patient. He still longs for people who are not saved to be saved. Which means, technically, that as the church, when we pray, Lord, come quickly, technically what we're praying is we are praying for other people's demise. Now, that's not our intention. And by no means am I saying that we should stop praying, Lord, come quickly, because that's biblical. The early church prayed that. They would would even greet each other with the word Maranatha, which means, Lord, come quickly. But if the Lord does come quickly, I think we need to at least recognize and realize what that would mean. If the Lord does come quickly, those who do not yet know him will remain lost. And that's the last thing that Peter mentions about waiting for Christ. Waiting strengthens the judgment of Christ. In other words, if he gives you plenty of time to do the right thing and you don't do it, when he finally does come, the consequences will be severe. You know, mankind for thousands of years now has been waiting on God But Peter reminds us that God has also been waiting on mankind. And look carefully why. Church, we cannot miss this. Peter reminds us why 
God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Repentance. That is an ugly world in today's society. People say that's a taboo word. Do not tell me I have to change my life. Now, Peter says the reason God's not coming yet is because he is waiting for people to repent. I do not think it's a coincidence that inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter chooses that word to describe why God is delaying his coming. Peter does not say that Christ is not coming yet because he is waiting for people to believe that he exists. Peter does not say that Christ has not yet come because God's waiting for people to find themselves in their true center. Peter does not even say that Christ is waiting to come so people can stop hating and dividing and backstabbing and calling each other names. While believing that he exists and being a good neighbor and treating everyone with respect are critical aspects to the Christian life, Peter indicates that the main reason that Christ has not yet returned to this earth is because he is waiting for people to repent, to change, to turn around and to live a new life. And that is not the message of our world. Our world says don't ever change. You be you. Live your life. God says you have to change. You have to change. And you have to come back to me. And you have to be transformed from the inside out. Becoming a holy and living sacrifice. So if God is waiting for repentance. Repentance is the message that we need to be preaching. The Bible says that John the Baptist came paving a path for Jesus, preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. When Jesus picks up for picks up where John the Baptist left off. Jesus preached repentance. If John the Baptist preached repentance, and if Jesus preached repentance, the church needs to preach repentance. Because without repentance, judgment will be severe. That is not God's desire. Peter says, God does not want anyone to be lost. But it is his plan. Eventually, he will come back. And those who have not yet turned and repented and come back to God will face judgment. Now, we all know tonight that we have no idea when Christ is going to return, and we have zero control over when Christ returns, but we can control 
what we do with the time that we have left. Every sunrise is an opportunity of grace to preach a message of repentance. If the sun comes up tomorrow morning, it comes up because of God's grace. And it's another opportunity for all of us to preach the message of repentance to someone who does not yet know God. Who do you know? Who do you work with? Who lives in your neighborhood, your apartment complex? How do you start that conversation? What would that conversation look like? Maybe we should have a conference about that. Think that think that'd be a good idea? Think that'd help? That's why we're having telling the story. Because every sunrise is an opportunity of grace to preach a message of repentance. And I really hope that you will be here February 3rd through the 5th as we dream about the best ways we can do that today in the kingdom of God. Well, next Monday, our country is going to celebrate Martin Luther King Day. And as we all know, Dr. King did some pretty incredible things and said some many powerful statements. One of my favorite quotes of Dr. King is the following quote. He said, in the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. In the end, we won't remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And that quote was certainly directed toward the Civil rights struggles in our country and improving civil rights finally becoming a country that by declaration at the beginning a place where all men were created equal. But that quote also has some tremendously important biblical implications. If you will, if you'll, if you'll humor me, close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to picture the judgment scene, even though none of us know exactly what it's going to look like. You've heard the trumpet sound. You've seen every knee bow. You have heard the confessions all around you that Jesus is Lord. And you've waited for your turn with God to give an account of your life. You see God face to face. He sees you. And Jesus stands by his side and the Savior's listening to the conversation. The conversation goes on for what seems like a really long time and finally you hear those words that you've been waiting to hear since you first became a child of God and came out of the waters of baptism. Well done, thy good and faithful servant but for some reason you watch a friend face the same judgment a friend who never obeyed the gospel they heard that same trumpet sound 
Their knees also bowed. And after what they have just seen, they made the same confession that you made decades ago. That Jesus is Lord. They had a conversation with God just like you. But their conversation ends differently. This time God says, depart from me into the eternal fire. And with tears in his eyes and with a serious look of anxiety on his face, your friend looks at you and he asks the question, Why didn't you tell me? After all of those years that we spent together, we raised our kids together. We went on vacation together. I've been in your house and you've been in mine. And after all that time, you never warned me about this. You never told me about judgment. Why didn't you tell me? And Dr. King's words come to mind. In the end, we won't remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. You can open your eyes if you wish. I understand tonight that scene is pure imagination. I'm very highly speculative. We don't know what judgment will look like. And we certainly don't know if we will hear the conversations that other people have with Almighty God. But we all know someone. We all know someone who has not yet given their lives to Christ. And he's patient. But there will come a day when the patient runs dry. And while we wait on Christ to return, Christ waits for us to preach a message of repentance. How can we be silent? In the end, we won't remember the words of our enemies but the silence of our friends. Father, we praise you for your patience. We thank you that it is your deepest desire that though we are so undeserving, your desire is for all to be saved. God, use us for that purpose. Father, help us not to delay having these conversations. Help us not to put it off for a more quote-unquote better opportunity. 
God, help us to remember that every time the sun rises, you have given us an opportunity of grace to preach a message of repentance. Help us not to be afraid to preach that message. We all have to change. We all have to turn around to be molded and shaped more to be like you. Father, use us as your vessels, as your mouthpiece, but Father, help us to work in doing that in our own lives just as passionately. Father, when we take the wrong step, help us to come back. Help us to continue to take seriously your word, your pattern, your plan for our life and what a disciple looks like. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for those who have gathered here tonight. Protect them, Father, on their way home. Bless their week as it begins tomorrow morning. Use us for your glory, Father. We pray this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here, and we will see you next Sunday evening.